Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, to prune or not to prune? That's a really big question, especially at this time of year. So we're going to tell you when cutting off certain plant parts is not pruning and is desirable in the fall or early winter. We're also going to take lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. But before we do that, I want to point to this plant over here. Those of you who are listening on radio and the podcast are going to hear something about this a little later on. But I wanted to show everybody, this is the time of year when you see those little Christmas trees that have been shaped out of rosemary shrubs for sale in the supermarket. They're really pretty. You get a lot of rosemary for the bang for your buck. But if you have any skill at all, and I barely have opposable thumbs, you can keep it alive. And look at the amount of rosemary that is on this plant that was one of my little indoor Christmas trees last year. Rosemary is also one of the most remarkable herbs for us humans who are starting to suffer memory problems and, um, what was I saying? Um, rosemary is the herb of remembrance, which means it sharpens our senses and actually has been felt to help delay dementia, which is why I have 18 plants in my house. So anyway, keep an eye out for these. They're going to be on sale at supermarkets near you. And now it is time to get to your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Frank, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you for having me, Mike. Well, thank you for being had, sir. How you doing? I am just ducky. Oh, you? that makes two of us. Ducky is doubled down. Yeah, it's like he's in Vegas or something. So where is Frank Ducky? Cherry Hill, New Jersey. All right, just over the Ben Franklin Bridge. Correct. All right, what can we do you for? Well, I have a, a two-part question concerning a fig tree. Okay, fig trees are very popular. I think one year we were going to change the name of the show to You Bet Your Figs, you know. <laughs> well, I uh, about two years ago now, I purchased uh, by accident too many fig trees. Okay, so, I've had those kind of accidents, yeah. Yeah, so I, I I had one spot that I had planned to put two trees in, and now it has four. Mm -hmm. And one was a three-year-old fig tree, which with, and the variety was uh, Chicago Hardy. Okay, I want to stop you right there and say it's nice they put a name on it, but I have learned over the years you cannot trust any names that are applied to fig trees. Um, what happens is the nursery, you know, propagates these things, and when somebody wants a tag on it, what do you want to call it? Well, where's it going? Chicago. Okay, that's a Chicago fig. Well, whatever it was, it, that was a very nice fig, and it's, it's done very well. Excellent. And, and the other one was a, supposedly a French fig. Now that you're giving me this information, Celeste, I've seen it advertised elsewhere. Oh, I've heard. Uh, yeah, I've heard of Celeste. You don't hear about it very often, though. They're much smaller, and so they were, that was a one-year-old plant, and uh, that one has been a little slower and the, and the figs are smaller and not as sweet but nonetheless i have two of each mm -hmm. and the uh the other th one was three years old and the others were one year old mm -hmm. so in the first year i after the the uh, three-year-old was in there that bloomed and uh, not bloomed but it did produce a lot yeah it produced about 50 now this year it oh geez i must have had over 200 figs on it, it right and you know the well. difference right and i know the difference because the winter was mild. I had my rosemary outside all winter, and it survived. And that may be the first time that's ever happened for me. So it was the perfect winter, perhaps not for the planet, but for Mediterranean plants in the mid-Atlantic states. 
So now I have the the, the other two, the other three are uh, getting big also, and they're getting crowded. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend who wants a fig tree. Right. So I wanted to give him one, and I had two sure. plans, two thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. One, I was going to take some cuttings off of um, the now five-year-old plant because mm-hmm. it's got some pretty thick uh, limbs. And I, I read up on that, and that seems like they root pretty easily, but it'll oh, take yeah. some time before it'll, it'll f- produce figs. It'll take another year or two. Oh, at least, yeah. What uh, Figs are perhaps the easiest rooting plant. It's one of the few things where you can say, cut off a nice green branch in the spring, stick it in the ground where you want it to grow, and if it doesn't grow, you should just move away and take up woodworking. All right, so I think you've answered my first question. Should I take the cutting now or wait to the spring? If you took the cutting now, they would be called what we refer to as hardwood cuttings, which is a technique that some people like. They will cut off the, quote, hardwood, because there's, there shouldn't be much greenery growing on your figs now. And you would uh, theoretically or, wait a minute, I'm losing a word. I need a word here. What up? Uh, <clears throat> These would be called hardwood cuttings that you would cut off now. And traditionally, hardwood cuttings are literally wrapped up in string and buried with a marker on top so that you know where they are. And when you dig those hardwood cuttings up in the spring, because figs are so easy to propagate, they should already be greening up. I don't see any advantage to that because you are taking some biomass off the fig, and should we get into a really wretched winter, um, that cutting could harm it. So I would wait till the spring and take off as many uh, green cuttings, fresh greenery, and give those to your friend. And again, the only, the only thing you, you should do is dig a little hole instead of jamming it into the ground like a pencil. But that's about it. And you know, make sure that your friend grows the fig in a protected location or is ready to wrap the fig to protect it against winter, should winter ever return. Well, the alternative, I thought, was to uh, root prune one of the ones that is uh, now three years old or two Mm -hmm. years, uh, three years old, and uh, just transplant it. So the question there would be, do I do that now because it's November, or do I do that in the spring? Um, I, that's what I would suggest. I would suggest you uh, kind of compensate for the overcrowding and you could do it now. You could do it in winter. You could do it in the spring. You know, one thing, um, old Italian gardeners would do with their figs if they were in a region with real winters is they wouldn't wrap it or anything. They would rock it out of the ground and bury it in a trench and then dig it up again in the spring, kind of resurrect it around Easter. So these things are almost impossible to kill. I would not root prune it. I would have your friend have the new hole ready and just pull that sucker out of the ground as long as your soil isn't like totally heavy clay. And if it is, then God's gonna root prune it for you. You don't have to worry about making a mistake. And take it to him. Uh, make sure he plants it in a good location, high up on the property, not low down where frost could collect, and water it well, even though it's outside of the normal watering time, just once. And, you know, if we think we're going to have a wretched winter, um, tell him, do you ever wrap your figs, or are they just in a good location? No, I put uh, stakes up, and then I put burlap around the outside of the stakes to give it a windbreak. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. So instruct him in that, especially for this first year, and I think that'll work out because you're going to get rid of the little ones that you don't like, right? <laughs> I still have two more to go after that. So okay. I'll see what well, to do. All right. Well, I think that's a good plan. Yeah, get it out of the way now, and that way there won't be anything to prevent it from coming out of dormancy normal in his landscape. Very good. All right, sir. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs.
bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. Eight three three seven two seven ninety five double eight. Karen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Karen. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. And where is Karen? Well, I am in Forest Park, Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Forest Park. Is it near Oklahoma City or Norman? It is. It's a little incorporated town, kind of amoeba by Oklahoma City. <laughs> Well, I know your climate can be tough, and I know the growing conditions are tough, uh, but I love the town itself. I love the people and the places you can go. I, I just love visiting Oklahoma City. It's pretty special. We like it, yeah. despite our soil and climate. Yeah, it, well, it's a tough place for gardening, but it makes, it makes you tougher. It's that Oklahoma spirit. Indeed. And then when you get tired of it, you move to California. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What can we do for you, Karen? Okay. So I'm a fairly lazy gardener. So last year, um, with our clay soil, I just made a raised bed, and I dumped a ton of chewed up leaves in it and kind of called it a day. Right. And um, I grew a pretty fabulous little garden. It's still producing a bit. Mm -hmm. But my question is, I know that that's not maybe long-term best practices. So what do I need to add, or can I just keep piling the leaves on and throw some worms in and call it a day? So when you say um, you added leaves to the bed, did you incorporate it with the soil, or did you put the leaves on top? I just threw them on top. I mean, really lazy here. No, no. That, well, I mean, sometimes lazy is the right way to go. And you, you hit it. You, you nailed it right away. Um, the best thing you can do for a raised bed at this time of year is cover it with an inch or two of well-shredded leaves. Uh, don't add any worms or anything like that. Even in your lousy soil, with a, um, with a covering, with a mulch of well-shredded leaves, earthworms will come in from neighboring counties and states. <laughs> to live under that because that is their most preferred living condition for normal outdoor worms, not composting worms, but you know, earthworms and similar worms. In the forest, they live under leaf litter and they're constantly churning it and turning it into new soil. So by being lazy, you are using unpaid labor um, to turn <laughs> the bottom part of those leaves into essentially a material that's better than compost, worm casting. Um, you, you may even notice a spilling over the sides of your worm, uh, of your raised beds, kind of a, a different type of soil. And those are the worm castings. And the more of that you see, the more earthworms have colonized your raised bed. Um, I always tell people to add um, an inch or two of compost uh, to their raised beds in the spring. And okay. if you have it, that's great. Uh, but I would think that one or two inches, or two inches actually, uh, going into the winter, of well-shredded fall leaves would probably create a perpetual motion machine. Otherwise, all you need to do is pay attention to the plants. If they're growing at the correct pace, if they're nice and green, if they have all the properties that you expect that plant to have, then keep being lazy. You know, the plants are lazy too. And a lot of times they just don't want to deal with too much fuss and muss. But if you see that things are a little off or the plants are being slow to grow, just go out and get a, a combination of a seaweed and fish fertilizer. Um, these, combo, okay. these combo products are great. Um, there's a lot of organic brands out there and you can find them at better garden centers, and just do some dilute feedings. Um, and you're welcome to do that if it just assuages your conscience, and it's not a lot of work. So, But um, these, 
fallen leaves with worms underneath them, they've created the perpetual motion machine that created forests, fields of wildflowers, everything on the planet, which you know we've only been feeding artificially for like 100 years or so. So I, th I think you're on to a good thing. Just don't well, incorporate, just don't incorporate the leaves into the soil. Always put them on top, which again follows your premise because incorporating them would be work. Work is bad. Yes. We should avoid it at all costs. You got it. Well, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Bye. You take care. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there to keep an eye out for those big rosemary plants that have been pruned into the shape of miniature Christmas trees. They make great gifts, fabulous holiday decorations, and they provide an amazing amount of fresh rosemary for the buck. But don't go galloping towards your local garden center just yet, because we'll be back with a precise definition of pruning and more of your precise phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will talk a little bit about pruning. What does it actually mean? Is all removal of plant parts pruning? And in the fall, when we urge you not to prune, are there actually some plant parts you should be removing that cause no harm and actually help the health of the plant? What an amazing question! And we'll get to it after more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jim. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Well, thank you, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing great. And where is Jim doing great? I am doing great in the city of Presidents, Quincy, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm not a local, but the locals will remind me to pronounce it with the Z, not the C-Y. Now, do you know why? Uh, it is the name of Josiah Quincy, uh, not the city in France. Oh. What I understand the difference. Okay. Both named after the Quince. Probably. That, probably. All right. What can we do for Jim in the land of quinces? I have a propagation of tree question, and, and I, I, I've taken the intro course on propagating a tree in that um, a, a family heirloom, uh, a fig tree that came from Italy, has been passed down from generations that uh, was fairly easy to propagate from yeah, a mother tree. Duh. Yeah, It's easier to propagate a fig tree than rabbits. Uh, yeah, I needed a shovel, and, and that was it. And it, yeah. it survived the road trip across the country back to Massachusetts with me. So that was easy. I, I have a, I think, a harder one or one that's just out of my element. Um, and I have a number of flowering trees I'd like to propagate. My, sure. my wife and I are um, we're, we're moving. We're selling our house and, and going to rent for a while and then, then buy. But in that mm -hmm. interim, I'd like to take uh, some of these trees that I've grown uh, over the last decade and you know, f fell into the internet uh, where there's a uh, shocker difference of opinion. And, oh, uh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so just looking for, um, you know, advice on, on propagating other trees uh, and, and really the, the Shakespearean question of, of to re root hormone or not root hormone. I, I've seen differences of opinion online on that one, really, uh, and, and just kind of we like the master classes. The, the fig was easy. These, these yeah. seem a little bit more. What are the What are the specific trees, and where are you moving to? The trees are uh, a hawthorn, a dogwood, um, and I also have a crepe myrtle. I'm thinking of, of doing as well. That, that thing grows like a weed. I'm, I'm yeah. not as worried as that. Um, and, and we're just moving down the street, so we're we're staying in the same community. Right. And when are you moving, though? Ah, so uh, in the next couple of weeks. Oh. So I, I don't really get the pick of the season. 
Do you um, get, have you obtained permission to come back and take cuttings in the spring? I have not asked, but that, that is a good question. I, I was, uh, it seems like that would be the better time, uh, but I was also looking at the challenge of maybe doing a hardwood propagation this over this next couple of weeks. I, I think hardwood propagation would work. Um, as we've often explained in the show, there's two times to take cuttings to propagate a plant. Um, obviously, the preferred time is in the spring, when the, you know, about two weeks after the new green growth appears. Uh, but your crepe myrtle is not gonna produce new green growth until what, late June? Oh, easy, yeah. Yeah, yeah that thing is late, yeah. Blooms beautifully, and uh, I've, I've followed your advice uh, religiously of uh, you know grinding up leaves and mm -hmm. using that as mulch and, and not volcano mulching and, and certainly not uh, trimming in the fall. So it, it, it's they've just, all done well. It's just almost unimaginable to me. When I first got into this game, I didn't see any crepe myrtles north of almost the, the middle of Virginia. You never saw them in Philadelphia, New York, New England, anything like that. But uh, they're almost local proof of global warming. And, and, you know, apparently it's just a couple of degrees that make the difference. And that southern plant has become ubiquitous in, in it, northern. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because the other day I was in the yard doing yard work. Actually, this, not the other day. It was a couple of months ago because it was still in bloom. And a neighbor pulled over, an elderly gentleman and his wife, and they, they just stopped in the car and said, excuse yeah. me, what, what bush, what is that? And I said, that's a crepe myrtle. The wife leaned over and she goes, "That's not supposed to grow here." And I just kind of looked at her and looked at the at the bush and said, "What do you mean? It's growing here just great." And and they were very complimentary about it. But I, that's to your point. It must be uh, really moving north. It really is. I mean, it's one of the most astonishing uh, plant movements that I've watched personally. So, depending on what kind of answer you get, that is the um, that's the biggest option for hardwood cuttings. And if you, as you've probably read on the internet, um, for hardwood cuttings, at least this is how I was taught to do it, you would cut off you know, maybe a dozen foot-long branches or whatever you want to call them, uh, tie them up with a string, take them to your new location, bury them, make sure you mark the spot, and dig them up in the spring. And with crepe myrtle, because it is such a late bloomer, I would take those cuttings and put them into individual pots uh -huh. and keep them outside, keep them watered. Um, and then when they started to show new greenery on them, then I would plant them to where they're supposed to go. Obviously, or perhaps not obviously, uh, root, uh, root hormone is out of my line of work because it's not organic. And uh, back when I was the editor of Organic Gardening, one of the options we used to offer people is to take a lot of cuttings from a willow tree, mm -hmm. put those cuttings in a five-gallon bucket of water, and use that water to water your cuttings. And the willow contains natural rooting hormones. Oh, interesting. So you don't have to choose one way or the other. You can cut the difference, split the difference with the willow water, which has a long tradition in American gardening and farming. Oh, interesting. Uh, I, I hadn't seen that one. I, I did see some suggest honey or even apple cider vinegar. Apple cider uh, vinegar. Take stains off your car. Cure cancer. Bad exactly. breath. <laughs> uh, teach a dog not to bark. Is there anything apple cider vinegar will not cure? You know, it, according to the internet, I don't think so. Yeah, I think exactly. It covers everything. No, the uh, and that you make a good point because some of these traditional methods that were mainstream 40 years ago, they've kind of dropped out of sight. But I guarantee they'll be back. Everything new is old again, or everything old is new again. Yeah, right, right. So, uh, uh, and the others, I would stress, if there's a way you can come back and take cuttings in the spring. For those other plants, I think that would that would work out well. When does your hawthorn bloom? So it bloomed for the first time this year. Mm -hmm. um, it, it took a while. It's about seven years old. Right. Um, and I'd say it bloomed. Did it bloom in June? It might have bloomed in June or July. 
Well, um, you know, it, one thing, now that I think of it, you can take these hardwood cuttings now and you got nothing to lose. But right. I, I would ask for permission uh, to come back and take some green cuttings in the spring or just keep an eye on their driveway and when you're sure they're going to be gone for a couple hours <laughs> get in and out fast okay just go in and clip that's well, right and the hawthorns out front it, it actually presents it for the first time this year it's showing red berries now are they oh, that's great able to to produce new trees or is that a harder process i don't know the honest answer okay. is i don't know uh, but there are some books on historic American trees that talk yeah. about every angle of propagation. And I would urge you to go online. Um, uh, I can't, um, Historic American Trees, it, it's a book that came out about 15 years ago. We had the author on the show, and he had propagated uh, the tree underneath which Martin Luther King had made his first speech or something oh, like wow. that. The tree that grew outside of Amelia Earhart's window. Uh, trees from Washington and Jefferson and Adams. Uh, so this guy learned how to do everything, and he was very good at getting these things started from seed. But as you know, that's a totally different skill set. Yeah, but that is fascinating. I mean, it's, it's fascinating how trees, how long they live, and the genetic material we can we can carry on with us. Yeah, um, and we know that many of them, if not all of them, have to propagate um, by seed or pollen in some way, shape, or form, because although nature will prune them, nature will not plant the prunings. Right, right. All right, man. Uh, that, that's helpful. That's helpful. This, this is great. Oh. I, I really appreciate your time. All right. Good luck to you, sir. All right. Thank you. Eight three three seven two seven ninety five double eight. Carnell, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carnell. How you doing? I'm very well today. And you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Ducky got struck behind the uh, stuck behind the robot there. All right. And where is Carnell doing well? I'm in Edmond, Oklahoma, just outside Oklahoma City. I know the place very well. Um, love visiting there, love being on the air there. What can we do you for? Uh, we had an ice storm a couple of weeks ago. Of course uh, you did. That really, yeah, really decimated our trees. Mm -hmm. um, they, basically, we didn't have a um, leaf fall yet. Oh. And so at my particular house, we had about an inch of ice. Oh, God. Um, a lot of people suffered a lot worse. Mm -hmm. out of it um and then i've got quite i don't have a large lot but i just have a densely packed with trees <laughs> or at um, least you did <laughs> i did yeah i've had a lot uh, some of them seem to survive pretty well uh things like the red buds chestnuts apples mm -hmm. pears and elms did okay um the hardest hit were the maples and a uh uh, some pecans or the uh, maples and lace bark elms okay uh, and my peaches were pretty hard hit um, then I've got, uh, I had a few trees that were effectively topped as well. Right. Uh, basically, pin oaks and some pistachios and uh, some pecans. Yeah, because um, that's where the ice is, is going to build up on top. Right. Yep. And so I'm looking for a little guidance on, you know, what do I need to do from a long-term perspective? You know, what's a good guidelines for uh, pruning, um, versus pollarding versus taking out. Okay, so uh, first, first I'll yep. tell you, don't ever pollard a tree. Pollarding is where you cut literally almost every branch back to either the tree itself or a couple of feet. And it looks ugly as heck for a couple of years, and then you finally realize the tree is dead and you take it out. So right. um, this happened to us Oh, I'm going to guess it was like seven years ago. We had what we called the Halloween storm, where we had six inches of wet snow um, the week before Halloween, when every leaf was still on the tree. And we got massacred. Uh, my next-door neighbor, who takes great pride in having a multitude of trees on his property, had to actually hire a logging company 
to come in and remove the dead wood. It was, it was monstrous. And I said, hey, at least you're going to find out what it's like now to have sunshine <laughs> on your property. So the most important thing you can do now is nothing. Um, as you know, the fruit trees, you know, they're supposed to get pruned anyway. So right. even though it seems like a call to action, this is the time to not interfere. And what you want to do is wait until the spring, you know, watch for new growth on the other plants and judge the health of every individual tree uh, by the percentage of new growth and by the look of the new growth. I mean, we all instinctively know what healthy leaves look right. like. And this is the time you're probably going to need a real arborist to come in on, on the bigger trees. I presume some of these are, are monsters. Yeah, I've got some of my oaks are um, about 16 inches in diameter. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got a, a reasonably long um, a pole saw. I can get out to about uh, 24 foot. Yeah, but the dangers of that are, are immense. I mean, oh, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I kept a lot of relatives or a lot of uh, neighbors off of uh, ladders and uh, chainsaws. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I made sure that uh, I had all the hard hats and the Good. protective gear and, and everything else because it took me about six days to get my trees to a safe point. Okay. And what I mean safe, I've taken out all the cracked branches. Yes, exactly right. So in the spring, when the trees begin to green up, then you'll know how they've done. And yes, this is the time in the spring uh, to remove cracked branches and dead wood. But I would not take off any healthy branches, even though it may make a tree look asymmetrical for a while, because they've already been stressed. And every living branch with good greenery on it, that's absorbing solar energy and contributing to the long-term health of the tree. Right. And obviously, with the apple tree, you were going to prune it in the spring anyway. Correct. So that'll just be part of your regular chores. But even though we all want to do something immediately, this is not when you call 911. This is when you binge watch old episodes of The Prisoner or something. And just trust nature to tell you what's going on in the spring. And then what you need to do will be so obvious. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about when to make the pruning cuts. I haven't uh, done those yet, so I'll hold off until springtime. See, the problem, if we were going to do it over winter, when a lot of these big trees would typically be pruned, is we really don't know where the injuries are or not. Uh, pruning in the early spring is perfectly acceptable. It's good for the health of the plant, and you'll really be able to see what you're doing. Okay. All right, man. All right, I appreciate the advice. All right, good luck, and... Ice storm early in the season. God bless you over winter. Oh, it, it was bad, but uh, we're, we got the benefit today. It's nice. 70 degrees out and the windows are open. Oh, I love it. All right. Good luck to you. All right. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody who's going to take our advice and buys one or more of those amazing rosemary Christmas trees you see for sale at this time of year, that these great little trees tend to be totally pot-bound. So be sure to move it up into a bigger container as soon as you get home, or it'll turn brown in a week. But don't go perusing your empty pots for the perfect choice just yet, because we'll be right back with what it really means to prune and more of your wrinkly phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.
Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In little bit, we will get to the question of the week, to prune or not to prune. The answer may surprise some or all of yous. Before that, though, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Amy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me today. How are you? I am ducky. How are you, Amy? I am doing great. I am doing great. And where is Amy doing great? I am just south of Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. Zone 5B. Pardon? Little little pocket of Zone 5B. Oh, okay, okay. Kind of challenging. Yeah, it can be, but it's been going well. Um, so the question that I have for you today is something that I've heard you talk about just quickly uh, that I want to hear a little bit more about. Um, I've moved around a lot, and I'm finally on a long-term property, and I've started building a raised bed garden mm -hmm. uh, using some cedar planks and then also patio pavers. Um, the latter was a suggestion I got from your show, which right. I love. It mm -hmm. has been great. Um, but I heard at some point you mentioned that uh, building raised beds out of Trek deck type material yes. uh, was something that we could do. And I spent some time, to time trying to figure out, like, you know, how we know this. Like, why do we know that the materials and the plastic don't leach into the soil? And I've kind of had a hard time finding, like, stuff to support that. Are we, like, extrapolating from, like, food plastic research? No. Um, how, do, how do we decide that this is a safe thing to do for our raised bed gardens? When I established uh, my raised beds, my original raised beds, 30 years ago, <laughs> um, okay. one of the things, uh, you know, all of the pressure-treated wood then was incredibly toxic. And, of course, mm -hmm. I had the option of using cedar or redwood. I actually built a lot of my beds out of field stone. But okay. up front, I really wanted squared-off beds. Um, and uh, I looked around. And one of the things that attracted me was at the time you could get lumber that was 100% recycled plastic that had been molded into the shape of lumber. Or you could get what's called composite lumber. And I think the only brand available at that time was Trex, T-R-E-X. And okay. um, I, of course, investigated the leaching properties and before this, I had been a medical and environmental writer, so I knew instinctively mm -hmm. that the harder the plastic, the more inert it is. The plastic that causes the most human damage and environmental damage is the soft plastic. Uh, you know, frighteningly enough, the nipples on baby bottles, that's the, wor mm -hmm. that's the worst kind of plastic you can be involved with because it is the opposite of inert. It's flexible. And um, everything I saw, treks and other composite lumbers, by the way, typically are 50% recycled plastic and 50% mm -hmm. recovered wood shavings. And the nice thing about all of these composite lumbers is the plastic comes from otherwise non-recyclable sources. Um, like supermarket shopping bags and stuff like that. So these aren't, okay. these aren't coded for recycling like number one or two are. And my original Trex landscape timbers still look brand new. They are ridiculous. Uh, they work like wood. You can cut them like wood. You can nail them like wood. You can screw into them like wood. And I am very pleased with them. And you know, at the same time that my Trex timbers have stayed 100% solid and perfect, any kind of pressure-treated wood would have rotted away and released its arsenic and chromium into the soil. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the back beds, the ones that I originally did from Fieldstone, had simply shrunk over the years, and weeds got used to growing in between the stones and everything. So uh, two seasons ago, I decided to design brand new raised beds for that area. And Fred Matlack, who is my, my genius of outdoor and indoor construction, I told him that I wanted to do the pavers. And Fred looked around, and he wasn't happy with any of the pavers. But he came back with something he had found at Home Depot. And these were concrete corner posts. 
that had a oh. hole in the center for knocking a piece of rebar down to hold them in place. And then the sides were slotted to accept regular lengths of lumber. And he was going to do cedar, but I said, what about Trex? And he said, well, Trex doesn't produce those landscape timbers anymore because people were using them for the wrong purpose. They weren't meant to be <laughs> structural, but people were building decks out of them, and the decks were collapsing. So one of, one of my favorite materials was taken off the market because of idiots. Not, not, not the first time. So what he did was he got the thickest Trex lumber he could find and, you know, then just, you know, put little pieces in and shimmed it to make it solid. And they look sensational. And all I can tell you is that, you know, over the years, it's proven to be extremely durable. And if it, if it doesn't break down, it's not releasing anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've never seen any evidence that it does. And again, one of the firmest rules is the harder the plastic, the safer it is to use. And I love the fact that they're getting rid of plastic that otherwise would be um, attacking sea turtles out in the ocean. So these, <laughs> these new raised beds, I had Fred build them twice as high, each two corner blocks stacked on top of each other and two things of the, um, of the treks wood, not, not the timbers, but the wooden panels. And ah, oh, man, <laughs> I absolutely love them. Um, they look great. The stuff has been growing like mad in them. And, um, you know, absolutely nothing wrong with cedar. How old are your beds? Uh, my oldest cedar beds are only about two and a half years old, about as long as I've lived on the property. And they're holding up pretty well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I don't have anything made out of treks yet, so it would be nice to put some up side by side and see the comparison over time. Yes. Um, and, again, normally I don't name places or stuff like that, uh, but Home Depot should have these concrete corner posts that are specifically made for the corners of raised beds, which, as you know, are the trickiest mm -hmm. part, you know, make, oh, yeah. making sure there's a good junction there. And then, like I said, the Trex lumber, it, it's, it's made to accept a thicker lumber, so you just have to, you know, cut the lumber to where you've got some leftovers, and then that shims it in perfectly. And I've okay. only had these new beds for two years, but I, I absolutely love them. I got my, you know, my absolute best ever garlic crop out of them. So for me, they're sacred. <laughs> ah, delicious. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your opinion. I hope I appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you. Good luck to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bye -bye. thank you. Have a great day. Bye. All right. It is time for the question of the week, which we're calling, when is a prune not a prune. Anita in Rose Valley, PA, emails us a timely question. Okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to prune in the fall, not even to assuage anxieties about the uncertainties of our times, and not even if it's going to be a beautiful and sunny 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Fine. Harumph. But what exactly does it mean to prune? If I snip a beautiful bloom, from a mature rose bush to admire indoors in a vase. Have I pruned the plant? If I lop a soggy flower off a chrysanthemum, did I just prune it? What about a dead bloom from a butterfly bush? Am I allowed to snip hanging chads from my droopy Montauk daisy? Or is any cut going to stimulate growth in the fall and turn me into a plant murderer? In other words, at what point does a snip become a prune? Are some snips in the autumn desirable, and dare I say it, plum? Or are all snips made in the fall prunes? Well, that's a great question, Anita. And as a reward for asking it, I will for once, maybe just this once, reply with a direct answer. All cuts are not the same. And yes, some removal of plant parts are actually beneficial in the fall. Now let's start with your specific questions, then we'll double back to your beautiful late fall sunny day. What exactly does it mean to prune? Now sometimes the simplest questions are the hardest ones to answer, so I turn to the official definitions. Vocabulary.com says that to prune means to clip, crop, and cut back. 
Pruning usually happens to overgrown trees and bushes, but can also be helpful for wild eyebrows and guest lists that are too long. Now, I'm not sure that anyone has ever said, I'd love to come over, but I need to prune my eyebrows. However, the guest list mention reminds us that the word has meaning outside of horticulture. Although I would thin a guest list, which is also a horticultural term, rather than attack it with sharp-bladed instruments. Dictionary.com simplifies the definition with, quote, removal of branches, twigs, and roots, and notes that the origin of the word, used in Middle English dating back to the 14 and 1500s, means in the original Middle French to cut back vines, which is derived from an old Latin word that means to propagate. Bingo! As I have been stressing for decades, pruning equals stimulation of growth or the propagation of a bigger plant, not a smaller one. Propagation, of course, also refers to obtaining the material necessary to attempt the growth of a duplicate plant, like cutting off new green shoots in the spring, which is pruning. But all the definitions I found specify or allude to large portions of a plant not the specific little parts you ask about, which is why I love this question, as almost all of your examples are not about pruning per se, but deadheading, which does not involve traveling around the country in a vintage 23-window Volkswagen bus, but the removal of spent flowers. Your exorcism of soggy chrysanthemum blooms, dead butterfly bush flowers, and hanging chads from drooping daisies are all examples of deadheading and not pruning. Ah, but the devil is in the details, the dose makes the poison, and you can't judge a good comic book by its cover. If you simply remove the spent, droopy, and or soggy flowers alone, it should not stimulate new growth which as we always stress is very bad for plants when winter is round the bend. But if you get a little frisky and start cutting back the stem, new growth could occur, which would be bad. That's why I deadhead by hand in the fall. I pull on my favorite hand protection, tight-fitting baseball batting gloves, and pluck the dead or dying flowers off the plants. Same with my precious raspberries. When they're done for the season, I gently use gloved hands to work off all the dead areas at the tips of the canes that were once clusters of fabulous little fruits. Such deadheading is good for the plants, and in the case of raspberries, gets rid of some pretty spooky-looking claw-like things. Your rose question, however, is trickier. My roses often continue to bloom right through light frosts, and their flowers are the last viable plant parts to expire as winter weather approaches. Just this year, I was tempted to bring in a beautiful, perfect, pink, long-stem rose that bloomed after Halloween, but I was afraid that somebody might see me and rat me out. And the rose was right up front in the garden, helping to achieve an impression of my talents that reality might otherwise suggest. A nice compromise might be to cut the flower right below the rose hip, perhaps with an inch or two of stem left connected, and display it in a clear glass bowl with water and some marbles to help keep it upright. And finally, that tempting warm day in the fall or winter is the worst time to do any of this work. A little pruning is fine if you wait until the middle of a week-long cold spell when your plants will be sound asleep. Well, that sure was some good information about pruning, deadheading, and rose harvesting, now wasn't it? Luckily, you can peruse this priceless patter at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producers threatened to send me on a one-way trip 
to hate Ashbury if I don't get out of the studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please, please, please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio and Television in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a mysterious group of Tibetan mystics granted him the power to cloud not only other men's minds, but his own as well. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Please check out her fine work and send us your fascinating photos at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots includes Jazzy Jeff Frederick, the esteemed Eric Werner, who's out this week on sick leave, get better Eric, Zach the Tack Wisniewski, and our beloved CEO Tim Fallon, who always prunes properly. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I used to be the invisible voice whose identity was unknown to mortal men. Then they put me on TV. Oh well, at least I got to keep the cool ring and the cake. So I guess I'll weed the bitter fruit of crime until I see you again next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. when you grow an avocado pit into a full-size tree. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal what you'll get and what you won't from that big seed. Plus your CD phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.